pornography is a weapon. It's a weapon to subjugate uh, large populations, uh, to demoralize them, to turn them uh, in on themselves uh, so that they don't make trouble. Uh, the CIA got involved in this in Portugal in 1974. It was even reported in Time magazine. Frank Carlucci, there was a Marxist uh, rebellion in Portugal, and uh, Frank Carlucci flooded the country with pornography, and that pretty much put an end to, to the rebellion. Hey friends, Sean from SGT Report here. Thank you so much for tuning in. That was E. Michael Jones, and this time we have a gripping conversation about Zionism and the enemies of humanity. Thanks so much for tuning in. Hey, before we start, just a quick word about Bastion. You guys might remember that I recently had on the founder of Bastion, Daniel. And what I want to share with you is this. I continue to upload every interview and video I do to Bastion. Do you know why? Well, remember how Facebook went down in October 2021? And not just Facebook, but many websites around the world. And they went down for hours. That's how easy it is to shut down access to websites. That's why you can't rely on any old school internet websites. You'll simply be cut off from the information you want during societal collapse or an emergency. But that's not the case with Bastion. Bastion does not depend on legacy internet. That's why I'm active on Bastion, and you can follow me there, and you should get active on Bastion and open a free account as well. You can also download their app through a link below this video. It works just like Bitcoin, speaking to computers around the world, so you can never be blocked from seeing me or other bloggers on Bastion. As long as basic internet is running, Bastion will work. It's anonymous. It even has a Tor network built in, so there's no need for a VPN. And Bastion developers have announced that any follower who comments on my videos on Bastion at least twice will get a gift of two pocket coin automatically deposited on their Bastion profile. So get the link below and become free from centralized internet. Once you download the app and install it, select sign up. You will simply create a nickname. No personal information is required and you will get a special private key. The key is your login and password in one. You have to write down this private key and do not show it to anyone. It is your key to your Bastion channel. By the way, Bastion also has encrypted chat. The chat is peer-to-peer -peer encrypted, so you can chat with friends and colleagues safely and privately. Bastion.com. I highly recommend it. Guys, I'll leave the link below. Hey friends, welcome back. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's Sean from SGT Report. I'm delighted to have you all back and I'm delighted to welcome back to the show E. Michael Jones, PhD. He is a prolific author and the editor of Culture Wars magazine. You can find all of his books at fidelitypress.com, one of which I have right here on my desk. Can you hear that? That's Logos Rising, a history of ultimate reality. E. Michael Jones, welcome back, sir. Thank you, Sean. Good to be back. Good. How have you been? I've been fine. Good. I spent uh, a week uh, in Brad Pitt's bachelor pad. Uh, <laughs> Tell us yeah. more. Uh, well, I spent a week in the most beautiful house in California, uh, without a doubt. It's on a perched on a cliff uh, outside of uh, Carmel. Uh, and it was my last opportunity because Brad Pitt just bought the house. So um, <laughs> uh, the headline story in the Daily Mail which is uh, that English tabloid is uh, Brad Pitt uh, pays $40 million for a bachelor pad, <laughs> a bachelor pad. 
Anyway, it's much deeper than that. If you want to talk about it, I'll talk about that too. But the show is yours. You, you decide what you want to talk about. Well, I think, you know, I believe in serendipity and I didn't expect to hear that. And uh, suddenly we're on the Hollywood issue because one of my notes here later in the conversation, I thought maybe I would bring this up, is in regards to your book, Monsters from the Id, The Rise of Horror in Fiction and Film, because I wanted to ask you about the hostile series of movies directed by Jewish Eli Roth. Uh, I don't know if you've seen those series of movies. So let's put that on the side for a second. We'll come back to it. But tell me more about this house. Why were you there? It sounds amazing. Well, the the family that owned it, uh, it was owned by a, a, a wealthy man by the name of Joe Ritchie, who made a lot of money uh, trading on the Chicago Board of Trade. Uh, uh, and he did led a kind of masters of the universe kind of life. Uh, he helped uh, Steve Fawcett and... Uh, negotiate a balloon record around the world. He was the head of logistics for that operation, like a classic American. Uh, and um, like the architect, the architect was a guy named uh, Charles Green. He worked with his brother and they created a, a, a completely American style of architecture known as the bungalow or the California bungalow or sure, a sure. lot of, a lot of them got built in uh, Pasadena. His most famous work is in, Pasadena, or his most well-known work is in Pasadena, and he built these houses between 1907 and 1909. Uh, and then uh, it, it, it's kind of a tragic story. It's like uh, Hemingway said, you know, fishing in the swamp is a tragic adventure. Uh, America is in many ways a tragic adventure, as we're finding out now, because of all the wretched war and all that type of stuff. But anyway, uh, they were so meticulous that they started to lose clients. And so uh, as they got the reputation of being too slow and too um, too expensive, because they built such beautiful, beautiful houses, you know, you can check it out on the internet. And so by the time, uh, yeah, these are some of them in Pasadena. That's where these most most known for the houses. So by the time uh, the uh, it's it's 1916 now. He's just they're not getting commissions anymore, and so Charles is kind of mystic, and he goes off to um, Carmel. He, he just finished up working on a the Fleischacker house up in uh, near San Francisco. He's on his way back. He discovers Carmel, beautiful area. I don't know whether you've been there, but along the coast from like Carmel to Big Sur is the most one of those spectacular. Uh, vistas in in america you're looking out high over these cliffs looking out over the pacific ocean and he, he just decided he's going to be a, a writer and that didn't work and suddenly someone approached him and said i just bought this property and it's right on a cliff it's called the dl james house dl james house and it's perched on a cliff in carmel highlands and it was just a lot and so they they asked uh, Charles uh, Green agreed to do it. Uh, there's the house. Yeah, that's where I stayed. Hmm. Uh, it, it's stunning. There's no other word for it. And it proves that America had its own uh, architecture, had a, a, an architecture that grew out of the environment. It wasn't simply imposed on the environment. There's my good friend, Brad Pitt, by the way. <laughs> I love stay. I love Brad. I loved being in your bachelor pad. That's fantastic. I'll have thank to, you. 
I'll have to email you a picture of my house, uh, Mike. It's uh, it's it's got similar influences. I've always loved that bungalow style, the arts and crafts movement, all of it. Really, really enjoy architecture. Well, what an interesting conversation. So that brings me back to the Hostel series of movies directed by Eli Roth. Have you ever seen those Hostel, Hostel Two, Hostel Three? No, never heard, never saw. Are they oh new? my God. Well, I think the first one, Hostel, came out in 2005. The second one came out in 2007. Okay. But they are among the most horrific movies I've ever seen. And uh, until you get used to the concept, they're almost unwatchable. Uh, a synopsis via IMDb says this. American college students are lured to a Slovakian hostel and discover the grim reality behind it. That's all they give you. Well, let me tell you what the grim reality is. These kids, these college students are drugged sold to the highest bidder and then slowly slaughtered by those elite people that bought them in an underground dungeon. Three series, three movies in this series. Absolutely. Each more horrific than the last. Wait a minute. This sounds like Hollywood. <laughs> why, why is it in the Czech Republic? Don't well, they do that kind of thing in Hollywood? This sounds know, like uh, eyes wide shut, doesn't it? Or something like that? No, exactly. Anyway. It is what they do in secret. And I believe that this is a documentary masquerading as fiction. I've said this to guests in the past as I've showed scenes from these movies. They're documentaries, essentially. It's what the elite yeah. do at the top yeah. of the chain. Well, that's what Mel, Mel Gibson just said that. He said that they, they engage in child sacrifice at, uh, in Hollywood. That's part of what they do. So he should know he's an insider or was an insider for a while until he got unpopular. So, uh, yeah, but that, that, that's this is way beyond what I was doing, what I did in, in Monsters from the Id. That, that focuses on uh, 1979, begins in 1979. No, it goes it begins with the French Revolution uh, and talks about uh, horror movies. Uh, and Frankenstein, and then Dracula, and then Alien. But from our perspective, uh, what I'm saying is that uh, basically horror is the reaction to sexual liberation. Whenever you, whenever you have sexual liberation being implemented uh, in a, on a cultural, pan-cultural basis, there is going to be horror films or horror fictions as a result of it, because that's what happens when you implement, when you break with the moral law. Uh, things get out of control and people die. Yeah. So if you want to go all the way back, all the way back to the beginning, I think the first example is uh, the Bacchae by Euripides, which is probably the first horror movie, except that it was a play. And it was so, it was so, uh, what should I say? So daring, so frank, and so uh, uh, which, uh, explicit that they couldn't perform it, never got performed. But it became uh, uh, famous uh, later on. Well, you know, it's so interesting. I don't have it in front of me, but one of those early, maybe the first Dracula movie, maybe it starred Bela Lugosi. I don't recall, but Hollywood has continued to do since its inception. They show us the truth, like those series of hostile movies, because I don't know if you've ever seen the clip of Prince Charles bragging that he is related to Vlad the Impaler. So they, <laughs> they love it. He says uh, the genealogy shows that I'm related to Vlad the Impeller. So you see, I have quite an interest in the country. The genealogy shows that I'm descended from Vlad the Impeller. So I do have a bit of a stake in the country. As it were. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I, the point is, is that I think Hollywood basically tells us the truth. And those series of hostile movies are maybe something you should check out. But uh, I don't think you're going to enjoy watching them. But 
No, they do tell the truth. That was the whole point of uh, horror movies. I think that they told the truth in spite of themselves. Because by the late 1970s, everybody had been damaged. Uh, most people had been damaged one way or the other by the sexual revolution, but nobody could talk about it. And so finally, you had people who would allow you to talk about what really happened and how you can get hurt. Uh, so the the uh, what was the uh, the babysitter Halloween uh, with Jamie Lee Curtis? Mm-hmm. So if it, these these could be uh, you know cautionary tales, uh, you could use them in your sex ed program. And tell the kids, if you, as soon as you take off your shirt, someone's going to jump out of the closet and kill you. Mm-hmm. So don't take off your shirt, uh, which is the story of Halloween. And then uh, a much deeper, one year later, uh, Alien appeared. A much deeper analysis of what was going on, set in outer space, uh, which was basically about uh, showing up at this planet. And suddenly this thing attaches itself to your face. Uh, John Hurt's face, he gets in, every falls off, everything seems okay, and then suddenly they're eating, and they have that scene, the great scene in Alien, where the monster explodes out of his stomach, mm-hmm. his stomach. Well, that's sex as of 1979. It's dangerous. It can kill you. Uh, and it's specifically oral sex. And so it was, in many ways, the sequel to Deep Throat which was at the beginning of the 70s, and that was the, gave you the illusion that you could break the moral law with impunity and nothing bad would ever happen to you. Well, that's that was nobody believed that by the end of the 70s. And that, so Hollywood told the truth uh, in spite of itself. Hmm. Yeah, I enjoyed uh, Alien. I think that was uh, directed by Ridley Scott. And then Aliens, the second one, was directed by James Cameron. And both, in, in my view, are just great movies, uh, fun watches. But, you know, the slippery slope into even more gruesome and gruesome uh, movies has been pretty quick since then, because, again, the series of uh, the hostile movies, I I think back when uh, Alien came out, hostile could have never been released. It would have been rated X. So now we've come to accept even more gruesome depictions of violence. There's a scene in Hostile 2 where one of the young college girls who is kidnapped uh, and is imprisoned in the dungeon is hung upside down. She's screaming. She's uh, masked. And a beautiful woman walks in naked, sits in a bath. This uh, girl is hanging above the bath and the woman proceeds to cut the girl and bathe in her dripping blood. And then ultimately, when the girl is screaming and and at the height of her pain and fear, her throat is slit. And then the woman who's bathing in the blood goes into basically an orgasm. That's depicted in the movie. That would have been rated X in 1976. Yeah. Well, the public uh, taste has been debased because of the widespread dissemination of pornography. So you're constantly debasing public taste. And so what you need is more and more uh, uh, jolt uh, to get the effect. Now, you can't sex is what it is and you can't go beyond what sex is. So in order to get that jolt, you have to head toward violence and violence uh, invariably heads toward death. And uh, St. James wrote that in his epistle. The, the child of uh, sin is, is death. That's why death is the uh, wage of sin is death. St. James says it explicitly. And the guy who uh, echoes St. James in his perverse way is the Marquis de Sade. He does the same thing. Talks about it, that, that progression from, from uh, sins uh, against nature to crimes and, and death. So they're both they both believe the same thing. It's just that the Marquis de Sade thinks it's a good idea and St. James thinks it's a bad idea. So the culture will follow the same trajectory. 
Uh, I didn't know, to be honest with you, I thought that horror movie, that, that Hollywood had stopped making horror movies. They did they, the uh, screen movies that turned into kind of parodies. Uh, they did a number of them. And I, I just thought it just uh, the genre had just passed. But apparently it, it's come back. Yeah, no, it's still around. And uh, a lot of it now really uh, delves into they love the Satanism, the Luciferianism. They love making movies about evil spirits, haunted houses, people being tortured by demons. That's a really big theme for the past decade. Yeah, uh, well, I've been involved in other things uh, since Monsters from the Id. So well, I let missed me ask, it all. Well, let me ask you this then. So um, interesting conversation, as always, with you. So let me ask you about pornography. You brought it up. I heard you in an interview uh, once explain that uh, obviously pornography is a weapon wielded against populations to pacify them, to emasculate men, uh, basically to give people um, all of the uh, circuses, bread and circuses required to keep them pacified. And then I think you cited that in um, uh, in Palestine, when you turn on the TV, there's free pornography for everybody. Is, am I getting that right? Well, there was one incident. OK, so the the, the, the Israelis periodically invade uh, the occup uh, the Palestinian territories and, uh, the, you know, to punish them. And uh, this one time, it was 2004, they invaded Ramallah. And this time uh, they took over the TV stations and they started broadcasting hardcore pornography over the TV stations. Now, the, uh, the uh, Palestinians have told me this. I gave this talk about, uh, on this in Switzerland. I gave it in Washington. And both times Palestinians who were there came up and told me what had happened. Uh, basically, the, they, they had snipers on top of the uh, hospital. And if you came out in the street, they would shoot you. So the only way you had access to any information about what was going on was watching the television. And as soon as you turn on the television, it's hardcore pornography. So everyone's stunned and they say, why are they doing this? Well, it's obvious why they're doing it. Uh, it's because the uh, Israelis want to bring liberation to the Palestinians, right? I mean, did you watch The People versus Larry Flint? That's the Hollywood explanation of uh, pornography. It's freedom. And nobody's free unless Harry, Larry Flint can uh, produce one-handed magazines. So, now, wait a minute. That doesn't seem right. No, it's obvious. That, but what the Israelis did makes it obvious that pornography is a weapon. It's a weapon to subjugate uh, large populations, uh, to demoralize them, to turn them uh, in on themselves uh, so that they don't make trouble. Uh, the CIA got involved in this in Portugal in 1974. It was even reported in Time magazine. Frank Carlucci, there was a Marxist uh, rebellion in Portugal, and uh, Frank Carlucci flooded the country with pornography, and that pretty much put an end to, to the rebellion. So it's not, it happened in Panama when the United States invaded Panama. It's happened more than once, and it's proof, uh, and it seems to be absolute proof, irrefutable proof that pornography is a weapon. The fact is, it's tolerated when, as soon as it's tolerated, it means that someone is weaponizing this as a way of uh, destroying uh, the the uh, the resistance or the culture of a certain group of people, usually the majority group of people. Yeah, and uh, it just uh, I guess begs the question: Why is porn free now on the internet? Several of the top 100 websites in the world 
offer free porn. I don't know if you're aware of that, but uh, it's all free now. So they're trying to subjugate the world. All right, I want to do a screen share as we bridge into this next topic. I'm not sure if you saw the uh, two videos uh, that the White House released on Wednesday, Michael, but uh, it's bizarre. Maybe I can show them here. I want you to notice the difference from the same day. Folks, as we fight inflation, you can't be pro-insurrection and pro-cop. Bringing down gas prices is a big part of the job. You can't be pro-insurrection and pro-democracy. You can't be pro-insurrection and pro-American. Here's the good news. Gas prices have dropped every day this summer. That's more than 40 days in a row. Donald Trump lacked the courage to act. We now have 40,000 gas stations in the United States where the price of gas is $3.99 or less. The brave women and men in blue all across this nation should never forget that. Uh, both are said to be Joe Biden. One looks like a deep fake. Okay, one does not look like the other. And so bizarre things are going on. Uh, and speaking of porn, Hunter Biden, the crimes of Hunter Biden and his father are legion and the DOJ does nothing about it. Okay, there's never any justice in this world. But here's what I really wanted to share. Uh, what I wanted to ask you about is Zionism. What is Zionism? Let me play this soundbite from Joe Biden, who proudly says he is a Zionist. That most people don't fully understand. That is unique and, um, how can I say it, um, so uh, strong uh, with Jews worldwide. There is a, there is a, I mean, you know, I used to say early on when I was a kid, I'd say when I was a young senator, I'd say, if I were a Jew, I'd be a Zionist. I am a Zionist. You don't have to be a Jew to be a Zionist. Um, Michael, I'm coming back to you. I've uh, talked about this topic. I've tried to cover this topic. I've tried to delve into Zionism. What is Zionism? Uh, how many people in our government are beholden to this Zionist movement? So you're the expert on it. What does it mean for Joe Biden to proudly be a Zionist? Well, he's basically capitulating to Jewish control of our, our culture. Now, uh, bec this, there's, there's a problem here. I've, I've run into this problem in Iran, of all places, because people are afraid to say the word Jew. So oftentimes they will say Zionist instead of Jew. And this is, this is a, a category mistake, uh, because uh, I wrote the Jewish Revolutionary Spirit to kind of straighten these, these category mistakes out. But it, basically, if you, if you go back to where all the Jews came from, which is the Pale of the Settlement, uh, in which is used to, it's, it's Ukraine, basically, what it would be the Ukraine now, uh, including going up into Lithuania. But uh, at one point, it was part of the Polish Empire. And then uh, after the partition of Poland, it became the western border of the Russian Empire. And at this point, uh, all of these uh, new ideas started flooding in, new ideas that we would call the Enlightenment started flooding into this group of people who had been basically isolated since the Middle Ages. And uh, it manifested itself in two political movements. One was called Zionism, which was Jewish nationalism, which said that the Jews needed their own homeland. And the other one was communism, which was Jewish internationalism, which said basically the Jews should take over the world, except that they're not going to call themselves Jews. They're going to call themselves communists. And that movement uh, became the more powerful of the two and eventuated in the Bolshevik takeover of Russia. Uh, that was 
the Bolshevism was a Jewish messianic political movement. And that was the dominant political movement uh, throughout the, I would say, most of the 20th century, beginning in 1917. Not beginning. It began in the 19th century. It began with Jewish terrorist organizations like Narodnaya Volia uh, in universities throughout Russia. Uh, Narodnaya Volia was part of an earlier uh, revolutionary organization that tried to basically uh, uh, educate the peasants. Didn't work because as soon as a Jew showed up to educate them, they called the police. And so the Jews at that point changed and went to Narodnaya Volia, which means the national will, and uh, engaged in terrorism. So the first dynamite that came to Europe was uh, through. Narodnaya the Jews imported it, brought it in to blow up uh, the Tsar's uh, railroad train, his railroad. Uh, it was terrorism, and they eventually succeeded in destroying, uh, murdering the Tsar, and that led to pogroms, and those pogroms caused large migration out of Russia and to the United States, New York City in particular, and that was the beginning of our Jewish problem. Because up to that time, everybody who came to America was a Christian of one sort or another. Some were Protestants and some were Catholics. And now you had a group of people that had never uh, assimilated, had never uh, was an enemy of Christianity and hated everything to do with Christianity and hated everything to do with Christian culture. Now, over the early part of the 20th century, the main uh, Jewish identity was communist. Most of them were communists, especially over here. They were members of the Communist Party. They supported things like uh, the civil rights movement, uh, the the uh, uh, B'nai, B'nai B'rith, the ADL. Uh, these groups were created in the wake of the Leo Frank uh, lynching. Uh, and they created revolutionary movements wherever they went. And the civil rights movement was one of them. And at a certain point uh, in the 19, 1967, to be exact, uh, the blacks got tired of being proxy warriors for the Jews. Uh, and when they took over the Ocean Hill Brownsville School Board and basically kicked all the Jewish teachers out. And at that point, the Jews declared war on the blacks to a large extent. The main result of that was that they switched their allegiance from revolutionary movements in the United States, like the civil rights movement, to Zionism. That was the year of the Arab-Israeli war. And that's when they really started to get on board. Pick, uh, organs like the New York Times really started to get on board with, with uh, Zionism at that point. It had started earlier with Theodore Herzl, who wanted to create a homeland. Uh, Theodore Herzl went to the Pope and tried to get his blessing. And the Pope said, no, I'm not going to do that. But so it switched basically from Jewish internationalism to Jewish nationalism. And that's what uh, Joe Biden is trying to talk about. I think when he uses the word Zionist, but it's clear he's a pawn of the opposite. Uh, it's a pawn of the Jews. Zionism is a cover here. And we can say that you, you could probably find this clip, too, of Joe Biden talking about how the Jews were behind gay marriage. He talked about talked to a Jewish organization, mentioned uh, the TV show Will and Grace. And he said, if it weren't for the Jews, we wouldn't have gay marriage. Well, they're not Zionists. OK, they're the other side. They're the left wing side. And the problem here is that you got two different groups who, who, who collaborate uh, one way or the other in taking over your culture and wrecking your culture. And that's the situation we're in right now. So the situation is so bad right now that Jeffrey Sachs, who is 
also Jewish, who was no saint. Uh, he was involved in the looting of Russia uh, when he was the assistant to Boris Yeltsin. It was called privatization. It put the wealth of the Russian people in the hands of eight uh, Jewish oligarchs who then shifted their money to New York City. It was one of the biggest looting operations in history. Now, even Jeffrey Sachs is saying that the Jews have gone too far. Uh, he doesn't say Jew. He says neocon or neoconservative. He's talking about uh, Victoria Newland and Anthony Blinken, uh, who basically orchestrated Newland orchestrated the coup d'état in the Ukraine in 2014, uh, which led to the war we have today. So it's NATO. Wherever the Jews go, there's turmoil. Uh, uh, whether it's domestically, whether it's foreign policy, and the problem is we can't even address the issue. Well, that's got to stop. We have to be able to address this issue because. As Jeffrey Sachs is saying, how many wars like this can we survive? Mm -hmm. We are on the brink of nuclear war because uh, Joe Biden appointed uh, a guy uh, as secretary of state who opens every conversation with, uh, I have relatives who died in the Holocaust. As soon as someone says that, you can't talk to them. And the fact of the matter is, we have a war because you can't talk to these people. You cannot. They are always they are always right. And if they and if you could disagree with them, they will try to destroy you. That's the problem we have right now. Well, in keeping our uh, Hollywood movie theme going here, you're going to like this or maybe you won't. But uh, have you seen the movie that came out in 2021 called The King's Man? No. All right. See this guy right back here. That's, yeah, that's actor Rafe Fiennes. OK, well-known actor, talented actor okay. in, in this movie. They depict, first of all, let me just explain. That man right there, Ray Fiennes, is in the shadows the entire movie. They could have cast anybody. You don't know who the bad guy is. Okay. But essentially, the entire narrative of the movie is that guy is the most incredible evil mastermind on planet Earth. And he's got contacts in every government. He's got hitmen, basically hitmen within governments. And he can carry out his essentially one world plan to control everything using these hitmen. And in the movie, they even depict the murder of Tsar Nicholas II and his family. And it's all blamed on this bad guy here in the shadows, who, by the way, is Italian. He's Italian. an Italian guy in the movie. You, you, you got to watch this because I tell you, I even told my son when I was watching it, I said, if you replace the bad guy's name in this movie with House of Rothschild, this is basically a documentary. What happened to Nicholas was despicable. You're so far better versed in history than I am, but knowing what I know about the Rothschilds, if you just replace the name of the bad guy in this movie with the Rothschilds, then you're essentially watching a documentary instead of is a that, work of fiction. Is that what they're really trying to tell us? That's what it said to me when I watched the darn thing. So anyway, I guess my question for you is in regards to Zionism. Do I have it right that the Rothschilds are basically the inventors of Zionism? It all leads back to the Rothschilds, because here's my question. At the World Economic Forum, we have Klaus Schwab saying you'll eat the bugs. Uh, in the future, you'll own nothing. You'll be happy. They're rolling out their United Nations Agenda 2030 policies globally. Uh, they're telling Dutch farmers to kill one third of their cattle. And it's said that uh, Klaus Schwab on his mother's side is a Rothschild. So I just want to kind of go there as it pertains to Rothschilds and Zionism. Do I have that history right? Yeah, they were big supporters of of uh, 
big supporters of Zionism. There's a street uh, named after the Rothschilds in in uh, in Israel. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure where it is. Maybe Tel Aviv. I don't know. But anyway, uh, yeah, they were big supporters of of Zionism. They were big backers of uh, of Theodore Herzl. Um, so, uh, it, but if you take a step back uh, and you get you have to ask, well, how did they get to that point? Uh, uh, well, they they got to it by lending people money and and uh the the uh you know the father uh meyer amschel uh, rothschild was in uh, the judengasse in frankfurt uh as a money lender and then he had five children and he sent them to various capitals and one of them went nathan the oldest went to london and uh where did rothschild get his money uh well the prince of hesse castle gave it to him because Napoleon was ready to march into that principality, and uh, the prince didn't want it to fall into the hands of uh, the French. So he put it in Meyer Roth Amschel's uh, safekeeping, and Meyer Amschel just sent it over to England, and Nathan bet the farm on it, uh, bet the farm on the consul, whether the consul would go up or go down, uh, based on the outcome of the Battle of Waterloo. Correct. Yep. And uh, when when it became clear that uh, Napoleon lost, uh, uh, Nathan made a killing. And so after he made the killing, then he started doing what the family did ordinarily, was basically lending it to people. And the English were uh, euphoric at this point. They were ruling the world now. They had conquered the world. Uh, the empire, the British, uh, the sun never set on the British Empire. And so they decided, damn, I'm going to build a house. I'm going to build the biggest house you've ever seen. And they started with these construction boom in these country houses, probably all of which you've seen, most of which you've seen on, uh, you know, like Downton Abbey or these movies about the, these big country houses. Right. Brides had revisited and so on. Even in Eyes Wide Shut, the exterior of that castle that Tom Cruise goes to where he shouldn't have gone. That's a Rothschild house, Rothschild estate. I didn't know that. Nope. I didn't know that. But anyway, one of the families that fell into the clutches of the usurers was the Churchill family. And so Natty Rothschild's uh, uh, Natty Rothschild lent uh, Randolph Churchill a lot of money and Randolph never paid it back. And then he died. And then Winston, his famous son, uh, was basically let off the hook by the Jewish uh, usurers who used this leverage to control him. So uh, Winston could never stay out of debt. And when things got bad and he couldn't pay off his loans, some Jew would, a rich Jew would come in and basically pay off his loans for him, which made him a total pawn of the uh, the Rothschild family of Jewish lenders. And that was the crucial moment when the Jews were pushing for uh, a homeland of their own in Palestine. And so the first uh, step was the Balfour Agreement. And then Churchill did their bidding uh, throughout his entire career. So that's right. how it ended up that way. That's how we ended up with a state of uh, uh, the state of Israel. It was because uh, Jew English families had fallen into debt to the Jews, specifically the Rothschilds. That's right. And um, we have uh, Lord Rothschild bragging in a documentary released just a few years ago about the Balfour Declaration and how proud they are of the original document, which is in one of these castles in England, and uh, I'll show the video right here. And here it is, the Balfour Declaration. What do you feel when you, when you see it here? 
I genuinely feel it's one of the most extraordinary moments in the history of the Jewish people. Uh, if you think it took 3,000 years uh, to get to this. And then you say, how did this miracle happen? It's the most incredible piece of opportunism. I mean, if you think you had an impoverished uh, would-be scientist, Heim Weizmann, who somehow gets to England, meets a few people, including members of my family, seduces them. He has such great charm and conviction. He gets to Balfour, and he unbelievably persuades Balfour and Lloyd George, the Prime Minister, and most of the ministers, that this idea of um, the national home for um, Jews should be allowed to take place. I mean, it's so, so unlikely. It, it and then he you know, starts to fight a difficult battle with the British cabinet, and this uh, letter goes through five drafts, as you know. And in the end, it comes out as a rather compromising letter. I mean, the essential point is there for um, the Jewish community to fasten on to. You have the first bit, which promises a national home rather than the national home. And then you have the bit that nothing that's to be done should um, in any way harm the Arab community. But you come back to the big point, which is that this is perhaps the greatest event in Jewish life for thousands of years. Final topic here. Boy, it's a big topic. But uh, Russia, Ukraine, Putin, in my view, the Bolshevik Revolution was sparked by the Rothschilds. Do you think Putin has a long memory? Do you think Putin knows this history? And do you think that's why Putin is playing hardball with Ukraine? Because I don't think for the powers that ought not be, this uh, war in Ukraine is going the way they wanted it to go at all. In fact, they're losing. And I think that's a pretty important deal. I want these people to get their butts whipped all over the world. We see people like Macron losing power. We see people like Merkel stepping down. Um, who else? There's um, uh, Draghi, a Goldman Sachs guy, uh, losing power. Um, I think the script is flipping on these people as humanity wakes up to this Zionist one world uh, government that they want to implement. Yeah, well, um... Uh, you're, you're, the fundamental issue facing the entire world right now is representative government. Do, do we have uh, this idea triumphed over what's say monarchy or something like that, which, which is heretical government? So it's representative government. These people are elected to represent the will of the people. Well, over the course of the 20th century, uh, this group of people figured out that you can buy politicians. Uh, because they need money to get elected. And once you buy the politicians, they have to get the vote. So they go out and ask for the vote. And then as soon as they're elected, they basically turn around and do the bidding of the oligarchs uh, against the will of the people uh, in, in detriment to the will of the people. That's what's going on. Uh, this was uh, uh, Putin understands this. Uh, Putin understands history because he mentioned it uh, in some speech he gave in which he said basically that what happened to Russia in 1917 is now happening to the United States. Well, wait a minute. What, what are you talking about? That's ridiculous. Well, the problem is that he didn't say the word Jew because you have to say the word Jew in order to make sense of that. And you have to talk about concepts like the Jewish revolutionary spirit uh, in order to understand how this, this works. But it's true. He understands that. And so the same people that took over, this is a coup d'etat that took over Russia. A small group of people led by Jews 
without Jewish support, it could not have happened, including big financial Jewish support, more from uh, Jacob Schiff uh, in New York uh, rather than the uh, the Rothschild family. Uh, but I'm sure they're, they're, they, ha- they were in good relations with each other. Uh, without that, it wouldn't have happened. Well, the same thing happened here. The Jews ended up, the communism collapses. Okay, there's this uh, euphoric moment in the West that leads immediately to hubris, this uh, pride, this arrogance in which they now think uh, we're going to take over the world. And they start moving NATO inexorably uh, eastward. Well, who were the people who were doing this? Well, as I said before, it was the neoconservatives. They had taken over our government uh, by certainly by 2003, which is when the Iraqi war uh, took place. That did not benefit America at all. The Iraqi war was totally created in the interest of Israel. They brought about the exact opposite by doing that because they basically removed Iran's main opponent in the Middle East. And so now Iran had reached all the way to the Palestinians via the Shia Crescent, which went through now Iraq and Syria and Lebanon, and then down into into the Palestinian settlements. So they didn't. They they brought about the exact opposite, but that doesn't change their intention. And you, so you have the the same revolutionary spirit, Jewish revolutionary spirit, that gave us Bolshevism in 1917, gave us neoconservatism at the beginning of the 21st century. That's what Putin was talking about. He understands that. He understands what he's up against. And he understands that these people don't recognize boundaries. They don't recognize sphere of influence. These people, you can't talk to them. This this is like a cancer. NATO has become a cancer that will spread and spread and spread until some force opposes it from the outside. And that's what Putin understood. And that's why he felt that he had to stand up to the NATO aggression that was uh, taken over, the NATO aggressors who had taken over the Ukraine. Uh, it turns out that they were Jews too. Zelensky is a Jew. He's a creation of a, a, a bigger Jew oligarch by the name of Kolomoisky, who created a movie show, a TV show that uh, that he starred in. So again, it's the same type of revolutionary spirit, and we, nobody's allowed to talk about it. How are we ever going to deal with it if we can't talk about it? Yeah. Well, we're talking about it right now. And I don't have the reach that I had when I was allowed on YouTube before Media Matters for America did a hit piece on me and so many of my other friends on YouTube. And we were all taken down that very same day by Susan Wojcicki, who I I think is a Jew. Uh, Yeah. Without cause, without warning, completely illegal. It literally is a crime. So we're suing. She's she's Polish, by the way. Okay. well, not Jewish. Did did you know that uh, her sister uh, is the CEO of 21 and me, the, the gene, uh, the DNA sequencing company. And her sister was once married to Sergey Brin, one of the uh, founders of Google. So it's a small right. incestuous, it's world. a small world. Yeah. 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 Well, she, she got the job because Steve jobs, Steve jobs used her garage to start his operation. Oh, you got it. That kidding. was her qualification. She owned a garage. You know, let me do one more thing. And we said we'd do 45 minutes. So we got five more minutes here. I don't know if you saw this back in 2015, but I think it segues nicely with what we were just talking about. Tom DeLay warned on Newsmax that the Justice Department, there's a memo he saw, the Justice Department wants to legalize 12 perversions. Among those is bestiality and sex with children. That was 2015, Michael. When In 2015, I hadn't even started talking about Pizzagate. 
and the problem, the plague of child sex trafficking in Washington, D.C. and around the world. Uh, and now what do we see? Drag queen story hour, sex with children being mainstreamed, um, pedophilia, even that term, they want to decriminalize pedophilia. Tom DeLay warned in 2015, and here we are just seven years later with all of these perversions really trying to be mainstreamed by the mainstream horror media and many of these politicians. So I, I just... With, with the collusion of the Justice Department. Yeah. I, 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 got a, I got a call today from an FBI agent who told me about the, 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 the turmoil in the FBI because of Merrick Garland. There's just a sense that's spreading throughout the FBI that this is the, the, the organization, which was never pure, uh, you know, was created by J. Edgar Hoover as a kind of blackmail operation. But, you know, struggling uh, against that, there's a consensus, um, a growing consensus among the FBI itself, the agents themselves. That Garland's just these prosecutions are purely political. This is Jewish vengeance. This is Jewish vengeance. This is Jews do not like the majority population of any country that they live in. And if you allow them to get in a position of power like the attorney general, they will use that power to attack the people of the country they live in. They are attacking the people of the United States. They view these people as their enemy. Same thing with Michigan. You've got a Jewish attorney general, Jewish lesbian, Dana Nessel, who hates the people of Michigan. It's obvious. And, and she, she collaborates with the FBI to create these crazy plots. Uh, like that they're they're going to some guy in a trailer park is going to kidnap Gretchen Whitmer and take her out, row her out to the middle of Lake Michigan or something like that. Yeah, and most boxing. of the guys involved in that were uh, D.O. Uh, were, uh, were FBI guys, undercover or informants. The whole yeah. thing is they're always, so, always false flags, essentially. So you got this. Is, this is the result of, you know, Merrick Garland in charge of the operation. All of the bad aspects of the FBI have gotten 10 times worse. And you got this is entrapment. This is this is Dana Nessel collaborating with Ger Merrick Garland to demonize uh, American, the Americans, the people, the ordinary guy, the, the, the usually uh, lower class who can't uh, doesn't have the money to defend himself uh, in order to maintain their hold on power. This has got to stop. The, even the FBI is getting disgusted with it. It's got to stop. Yeah. I think uh, what's happening in our country and around the world is waking up so many people that I continue to be very hopeful that these people will be defeated because their plans are so anti-human and tyrannical. And now obviously so to even people who were previously sleeping and could not have the conversation you and I just had because they're not equipped with the language. Even those people are waking up to the degree that something is wrong and we need to fix it or we're going to lose our country. So I continue to say Either Klaus Schwab and Bill Gates and the Rothschilds get their great reset or the great awakening is real and we all take our nations back. Yeah, I, I think I, it's one or the other. I, I think that uh, Roe versus Wade was basically the imposition of the Jewish religion on the United States of America. Uh, child sacrifice has always been a, a sinister part of of Jewish history. And I'm saying that with the overturn of Roe versus Wade, I think we're, we will see the beginning of the end of Jewish hegemony over our culture. A lot of that is based on my hope, but I think there's an element of truth to it. I do, too. I do, too. I really appreciate your time. Uh, I love your intellect. You're a master of history. 
Guys, the book sitting on my desk here is Logos Rising, A History of Ultimate Reality. I barely dug into it. And the thing is, what, six, seven, eight hundred pages long. Our guest has been E. Michael Jones. You guys can get his books, by the way, at FidelityPress.org. Anything else you want to tell people? Social media stuff? Yes. Logos is rising. Logos is rising. Logos, Logos. Truth is the point, guys. Truth is rising. Our guest has been E. Michael Jones. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Friends, thanks so much for tuning in. And friends, I want to thank our subscribe stars and our members at sgtreport.tv. Thank you so much for keeping us in the fight for truth and real news and for real news every single day for free, guys. Visit us directly at sgtreport.com and thephaser.com. Both of those sites are the antidote to corporate propaganda and mockingbird mainstream media lies. God bless you and yours. Bye-bye. But the bankers, in my view, looked ahead. And they saw how important silver was in the monetary system. And that's why the crime of 1873 was instrumental when William Jennings Bryant gave the speech about getting nailed on the cross of gold. And that the Eastern banking establishment had the gold. They wanted the monometallic standard. They wanted the one gold standard. They wanted the yellow brick road, the Emerald City, where they controlled everything.